If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be dynamically engaging, and here's why. In this episode, we'll find some answers to how can DMs cut down on their prep time while also playing more exciting games? And what would happen if we focused on the rest of the team instead of our own glory? And how can we flesh out our characters through the rest of the party? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. All right, so today we are talking about getting into character. You've got backstory, you've got bonds, you've got flaws and compelling goals. You've got all your details, like your 30 knives and your cat pig companion, <laughs> Theo Dio. <laughs> of course, of course you do. Super fleshed out. Well, now you need to bring them to life and you need to be able to interact with the party as a player, as a DM. And we've stumbled our way into some good characters that are a great part of a team, but we've also really stepped in it. <laughs> yeah. We've made a couple of those lone wolves. Oh, you're looking at me. Ah. No, we. I said we. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're driving at. Yes, I haven't always been a great player. Neither have I. But today, neither of us are going to be the expert that's going to help with this. But we've got, because we've got Joanna Gaskell coming on, who's going to help us with this. She performs for the Critical Hit Show, a live improv show at the Rio Theatre in Vancouver, BC, as Freya the Elf Warlock. She's written, produced, and starred in the web series Standard Action. She's got a master's in acting alongside many other merits in her field. And she has also played a role in many projects from short films, voiceovers, TV, theater, improv, and more. What hasn't Joanna done? Barely anything. But she also, one of the most exciting things to Travis and I, is a pro DM at the Stormcrow Tavern in Vancouver. So welcome, Joanna. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So what kind of gaming have you been doing recently? Oh, goodness. Um, well, actually, I've been doing a live play Twitch stream called What the Quest um, with a bunch of the DMs from the Stormcrow. Um, and we've been doing a different gaming system every three sessions or so. So each of us has been running a different game in a different system. We did Deadlands most recently, so Savage Worlds, which was my first time playing Savage Worlds. Wow. And before that, we did Star Wars Edge of the Empire. And then before that, we did 5th Edition. And coming up next, I'm going to be running a quest game. So, so many different systems I've been playing recently. So already we've established how monumentally prepared your brain is <laughs> for being able to switch from system to system. I don't know how you do that. That's quite impressive. Uh, well, I mean, I think we're going to uh, we're going to cover a lot of how I do that in this podcast because I prepare n not very much and tend to run by the seat of my pants most of the time. Although coming up when I'm actually running um, this quest game coming up, uh, I definitely had to do a little bit more prep just because um, there are a lot of similarities uh, between sort of all the D20 systems and quests. But it is a little different. So, yeah, I am fully prepared to walk into that game not really knowing what I'm doing. And uh, we will all learn together. <laughs> That's uh, the wonderful part about running kind of that story first game is if you mess up the mechanics, it's all good. We'll figure it out. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as all the players in your game are kind of on the same page with that, all of my fellow DMs, they love story stuff. And so as long as the story is strong and they're having fun, they don't really care. <laughs> so, <laughs> And how has the uh, the critical hit show is online now? And how's that been going? What's the reception like? Right. Yeah. The critical hit show. Well, as we're talking about systems here, that one's actually run in 13th age, which is yet another system that I've been working with. It's been really interesting doing it online. I mean, it's a show that we did or have done for the past oh, 
I'm going to get this wrong, eight and a half years or something like that, the last Wednesday of every month at a theater here in Vancouver. And it was a huge change moving it to online. I mean, obviously we had to move it to online. There was no way we could do live shows anymore and safely have an audience. Uh, But what we found is it's actually like we were nervous about it. We're like, ah, I don't know if this show is really going to translate to an online setting because it was so audience participatory. But it's become really, really cool. It's become something entirely different, something totally new and just as fun and just as as crazy, but an entirely different sort of beast. And what I love about the people that I work with on that show, they're just such strong performers and they're really, really passionate about making the show the best it can be. So after each show, we'll sort of do a debrief and sit together on Zoom or Discord or wherever we are and talk about how we could make it better next time, how we can use the technology to create a better online experience for people. And we're getting a lot of really positive feedback. One thing that we can do with an online show is now all of a sudden we can reach people outside of Vancouver, which we could never do before. So it's it's become something really cool and really novel and really exciting. Well, that just is a testament to, again, your flexibility as a DM and as a performer. What I love about live theater improv, especially D&D themed, <laughs> is that like when you go into that, it's only an experience that you and that audience shares. And it feels very intimate and you know, obviously very uh, one-time only kind of thing. Whereas what you're doing now is, I mean, it's it's totally different, but it's just, like you said, it's just as incredible um, that it can take a, a new form and still thrive and be wonderful. Yeah, that is a wonderful thing about live theater. And live theater is something, as an actor, I've done plenty of. And a lot of times people people who don't really understand live theater or live performance will say, why don't you record that so other people can see it? Well, it never really translates. If you try to, to, you know, set a camera up in the back of an improv show or, you know, film a theater production, it doesn't really capture that thing that you're talking about, that like intimate experience that's only happening one time on one night between the people on stage and the people in the audience. And that's what makes it so special. So yeah, when we moved over to this platform that was like, okay, now we can record this, we can put it online, we can make it available for everybody forever. It just became a different show. So that was kind of the challenge was to take that really close relationship that we have with our audience and open it up to sort of a wider audience and bring people with us in that intimate way but in an online setting rather than in person. And it's been fun to try and achieve that. Yeah, it's good. I miss, I really miss performing on stage. I, I must say like it's the live performance aspect is something that we all miss. All of my fellow performers miss that. And hopefully we'll be able to go back there at some point. But now that we've figured out how to do this online, we're thinking that maybe we'll continue to do both. So we'll try and figure out a way to do online content as well as maybe side stories or side quests in addition to the live show. That's really cool. Learning to blend them like that. And so in the end, you're actually going to have a more rich experience for everybody. Wow. That flexibility has bred innovation and new opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, I have to credit our DM, Eric Fell, who created the Critical Hit Show. He's an incredible innovator and he's adapting to the technology incredibly quickly you know he's not only a really strong performer he's also becoming really really savvy with all of the technical things that we need to do now as performers in this weird time where we can't perform live so he's definitely driving that innovation our audience is also incredible they are the best audience in vancouver i have to say (laughs) like (laughs) some of our audience members have been with us every show for the past eight and a half years like it's intense wow Well, I'll definitely have uh, a lot more questions for you about that in the second segment. But for now, we're going to talk about creating more dynamic and engaging games by getting some of those tools from you. Cool. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to basically just see if we can uh, uncork Joanna's brain and get all of that amazing knowledge out of there um, on how to be a flexible DM. And we're going to run through how can you run dynamic games with less prep using improv 
and from a player's perspective, how to create a stronger team with improv. And from everyone's perspective, how to create more involved characters with some of those acting skills. So let's start with uh, kind of that first point. So DMs. Now, Joanna, you are a, a, obviously a very flexible DM who is currently running many, many different games on many systems. How do you do that with less preparation? Well, I think, honestly, the big point about using improv as a DM is loosening control. And that is a really difficult thing for a lot of DMs to learn because the nature of that role in a game tends to be sort of the, the controller. You know, the person who's um, who's controlling the environment, who's got the plan, who's got the maps, who's bringing in the characters and NPCs and driving a story that maybe they've created forward. So that idea of loosening that control and letting go of a bit of it can be really scary. So a DM adopting improv as a tool and a technique sort of comes hand in hand with that ability to to let go of control a bit. I remember when I was starting out, you know, I, I'm not a gamer from like way back in the day. I think I started with D&D 3.5. So back at 3.5, I think the first game that I ever ran, oh my God, the amount of detail that I had, I was not happy to just run somebody else's story. Of course, I had to create my <laughs> own story, my own world my own pantheon, my own everything. I created I created <laughs> maps. There were so many maps. <laughs> like, oh man. And details for every aspect of it. Because of course, as you start running games, you start to realize that your players don't necessarily follow the path that you want them to follow. And I had contingencies for every turn that they could have taken. As I ran more games and played more games, I started to realize that that was a waste of time. <laughs> because... <laughs> It became much easier to create a loose story structure of the places that I wanted my story to go and that I wanted my characters to get to and have a much looser idea of how they could get there. So what I would do is I would sort of have three or four main points that maybe they had to hit over the next two sessions or something. But the information that they had to collect or the places that they had to go to could change. And maybe they would get that information from a different source if they decided to go in a different way. Or maybe I would have to reskin a location on the fly because instead of going down into the basement of the church, they decided to go, I don't know, over to the village next door to explore something else. But I still wanted them to get that clue, that information. So I'd reskin the location that I already had planned to be something else. And it's really not that hard. Like it's, it sounds really overwhelming to do stuff like that, but it's really not that challenging. As long as you know, generally what your characters need to know, you can get that information to them in a bunch of different ways. And, and that way you don't have to try to railroad them. You don't have to try to push them towards where they need to be. You can just change your plan based on the things that they've decided to do. And it does sound like, well, I'll actually ask you this instead. What does your planning notes look like before you go into a session? Like, take us through what the page is of your DM notes that you had in front of you. Well, <laughs> I run a lot of games with, I used to run a lot of games with the Stormcrow Tavern, which is a tavern in town that does a DM and dine program. I would run four hour games for groups of people and it would be a group of people that I'd never met before. So I had no idea what I was going into. I didn't know if this was a group of people who were going to be super combat focused. I didn't know if they were going to really want story. I didn't know if they were going to avoid role play altogether. I didn't know any of that. So usually when I went into a game like that, I would have my beginning of the story. So I would have my setup, where the team was starting from, and give them a really nice atmospheric mood setting beginning of the story. And then I would have two encounters that were set up, but very vaguely. So I had sort of uh, some creatures that maybe I was going to throw at them and then maybe uh, maybe a final boss that I was going to throw at them down the line in hour four. And then between that, I would have just some ideas. So like they were headed towards a village 
and I'd have like the name of the village and maybe like a couple of people they could meet there. But honestly, I would make it up. They'd go to the village and then I need them to get a clue to send them off to a, let's say, an island to go hunt some treasure down. Okay, so I needed to get them there. So I have information that will get them there. For example, maybe there's somebody they need to find. There's uh, somebody who went off to find treasure and they got lost. And now they're being hired to go find that person. Now, depending on who they go into town to talk to, that person's going to be somebody different. (laughs) So maybe they go in and they talk to the innkeeper. And due to the conversations that they have and the interest that they show in the town, That person is the son of a widowed farmer in town. Okay, cool. But maybe they decide not to go into the tavern at all. Maybe instead they decide to go to the magic shop and talk to the wizard. Okay, well, there's a wizard who lives in this village. And and maybe instead I'm going to get to them to the island by telling them that like the wizard's apprentice or something went off to find a spell component on this island and never came back. Maybe that's what I'm going to do this time. So my notes for a session would be why they're starting, what they need to know, and then some encounters. (laughs) (laughs) And where they need to get to. Like you just decided, okay, they need to be at the island in order to get here. But how they get there is completely open to interpretation. And I think that Jordan and I definitely feel that like initial DM pain because we're both the same in that we started with like you pages and pages oh, and pages oh gosh. of notes. Yeah. <laughs> so many NPC notes. <laughs> and I think it's the final killing stroke in your DM idea that you need to retain control when you do, like you said, find out that players are going to ignore it and throw it off anyways. It doesn't matter how many contingency plans you can figure out they will throw them off. Yeah. Your approach seems so powerful just because at the end of that experience as a player, you're sitting there thinking, I just pretty much created that story because I wanted to talk to the wizard and not the baker. And that's one of the wonderful things about this idea is that like, okay, so improv on stage in its purest, beautiful form. I haven't done enough improv on stage to get bitter about it. There are people who are bitter about it, but (laughs) improv as a wonderful thing is collaboration. So when improv works the best is when you've got a group of people on stage who are listening to each other and collaborating with each other to create something fun or something entertaining or something dramatic. I've even seen dramatic improv done. And when it works best, is when everybody is listening to everybody else. That isn't just as a player in a game. That's also as a DM. So one of the wonderful things about having a group of players at the table is once you get them involved in the story, they become invested and they they start suggesting things and coming up with plans. Like there's so many times that players will sit around discussing what they're going to do next and the DM's just sitting there listening. That's all gold. Take it and make it yours. Like so oftentimes I'll hear somebody talking about something be like the barbarian maybe. They'll be trying to figure out their way out of a I don't know, out of a tower and the barbarian will be like, "Hey, is there anything flammable in here?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, there is." <laughs> and then all of a sudden that plan becomes my plan. Maybe I was planning on them getting out of this tower by going through I don't know, some maze that I've built or some puzzle that I've created. Well, no, instead, they're going to do something entirely different that has to do with an idea that one of the players came up with. Now, if I take that idea and I run with it, that's actually a great way of getting out of this. I'm going to make that part of my story. Then not only does the flow of the play uh, continue in this nice way where we don't get held up and, and I don't try and railroad them, But also that player, that barbarian player, feels incredibly powerful. They feel like they've figured it out. They feel like they've beaten my puzzle and it becomes their story even more. They become more invested in it. And as a DM, I'm not there to beat them. I'm there to make the absolute best playing experience for everybody at the table. And as soon as you involve the players to that degree, it just becomes so big and important and fun for them, they take on the story as their own, become much more invested in it. And those are those beautiful moments as a DM that I find where the group is just working together so beautifully. And really, as a DM, you're just along for the ride. You're like, yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's see how that happens. And if I can make my story fit their plan, 
closely, then it just becomes more fun for everybody involved. What I love about what I'm hearing from you right now, too, is that it kind of reaffirms this long held belief that I have that even writing the plan in the beginning, rather than just using, say, story beats, is almost a catch-22. It's a it's an Ouroboros that's going to end up eating its own tail because having the plan in the beginning, like even trying to plan for how the party is going to get out of the tower is going to cause you to look at that plan and say, well, how do I how do I push them towards this plan that I had for them to get out of the tower rather than never having the plan in the beginning, just having the story beat of they need to get out of the tower and going with whatever that entire player group wants to propose. Yeah, I am coming from a place where that is the stuff that I love to do. Like, I love it. I love flying by the seat of my pants. I love making up characters on the fly. I love having like almost that insecurity. Like that is something that I really love to do. Now, I completely understand that there are other DMs out there who do not love to do that. I find it fun and exciting and and energizing. And other people may find it a little bit scary. So I think that everybody, if they want to have a plan, they should have a plan. I just encourage people to maybe allow that plan some flexibility. So if you do have, I don't know, if you did have a riddle to get them out of that tower, you know, you'd written it to be on the basement floor behind the secret door or whatever. Sure, keep it, keep that riddle plan with that puzzle. But if they don't get to that area, make it somewhere else, like move that beautiful plan that you've got and take it up to the third floor on the balcony, which is where they ended up going because the monk decided to scale the wall and now they're on the third floor. So just put it up there. So you don't have to go entirely completely see to your pants, which is sometimes what I do. You can definitely just have the flexibility to move your ideas. Yeah, that NPC that you've spent so much time designing and they've completely avoided now that they took a left rather than a right, just put them down the left tunnel instead, you know, just like just move things, have the flexibility to to move things. Because the wonderful thing about being a DM is that nobody knows that you've changed anything. I mean, you're the boss, so. Absolutely. So that's kind of how DMs can do a little bit of planning. But then if you jump to the other side of the table, the players don't really have as much of a choice in the planning. So they kind of have to use those improv skills to work together a little bit better. So like, is there any other strategies that you can share there on the player side of the table? Sure. I mean, I think that on the player side of the table, yeah, there's less of a an onus on the player to do a huge amount of planning. However, where improv, I feel, comes into play on the player's side is just making it more cohesive of a team and more fun of a game. I mean, I, I'm even guilty of this, like way back when, when I started playing, where I'd have a character who had a specific motivation and a singular focus, and that was what I was going to do. And sort of stick to that really, really singular focus, oftentimes you start to forget that you're part of a team and you'll get those sort of lone wolf situations where you've got one player who's like basically just won't change their plan for anybody else. And so from the player's side, I would say taking on a few of those sort of uh, improv ideals will just let everybody have a better time. So one of the big improv standards of onstage improv is the yes and. So if somebody suggests something on your team, on your improv team, you're on stage and somebody goes with an idea that's new and it's taking the scene in a different direction, you say yes. And then you build on it. So if somebody says, hey, I think we should check out the sewers, instead of saying, yeah, no, that sounds like a stupid idea. As a player, say, yeah. And uh, maybe we should bring that that NPC that we found at that store back there because, uh, you know, he was uh, he, he built the city way back in the day. Maybe he knows his way around instead of blocking other players ideas at the table and just going with your own singular motivation, allow other players to drive. And again, this just comes back to letting go of control. So as soon as as a player, you decide that you're OK with letting go of control, the game becomes so much more fun because, first of all, the onus isn't all on you. You don't have to do it all yourself. You've got a team around you. You're allowing them to drive. Even if you don't think it's the best idea, why not go with it? It's probably going to be really fun. And you can trust your DM to deal with the situation and sort of steer you back to where you're supposed to be. Or if you've got an improv DM, 
maybe the sewers is exactly where you're supposed to be, you know? <laughs> well, I think one of the, the main challenges, the yes and is a, is a pretty popular concept, of course, and that's kind of thrust upon a lot of players. I think where players start to get kind of hung up is the, well, that's not exactly what my character is all about. So you've got, you know, somebody who is clearly at home in the sewers in that plan. And then you've got somebody who's role-playing a very uh, polished, a very refined kind of person. And their character would would never find themselves in a sewer in a million years. And I think the, the real challenge there, and again, it's kind of like staying, like you said, staying loose with that... Uh, with that, with those, some of those expectations, is that now that player, instead of saying, no, I would never, it's fine, but you're carrying me. Or, sure. <laughs> you know, that kind of behavior changes the way that you role play that character. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of bringing in sort of the acting mentality into this, when you are playing a character, like when I, as an actor, am playing a character, I certainly do have a core set of beliefs and motivations that that character is driven by. And definitely there are some things that, you know, that character wouldn't normally do. But a character is a person and any person can justify anything. <laughs> it just depends on what situation you're in, right? So even that person, that, that, uh, that well-dressed nobleman who would never go down into the sewer, yeah, Probably not, but there's going to be some situations where, you know, he's going to make that choice. And maybe it's because of the relationship that he has with other people in the party. And maybe, yeah, he's going to complain every single moment of that he's down there. And that would be in character. But I think another thing that players sometimes get caught up in is this idea that their character has an ideal or a motivation, like a single sentence that you write in your character sheet, that this is what drives my character, but characters are just people. And if you think about that character as yourself, there's probably a way that you could justify pretty much anything that your party members are suggesting. You can definitely fight it tooth and nail, <laughs> <laughs> but consider going with it, I think is what I'm saying. It's like, consider not shutting it down right off the top. Consider the situation where your character might do that. And are we in that situation right now? And if we're not in that situation right now, what do you demand of your other of your party members to make it okay? Like maybe you're going to hold a favor over their head later. Maybe you're going to demand that they carry you. Yeah. But don't shut it down right off the top because if you shut it down, you're cutting yourself off from what could be a really, really adventurous, cool time. And you're also alienating your fellow party members. And that sucks. Alienating anybody in a game situation is not what we're here for. It just shuts the energy right down. Whereas like you said, if everybody is trying to make any decision fun, it's going to become fun. Yeah. And potentially chaotic, which is also fun. Well, and any good story is also built upon character growth. That's one of those times where if your character is never challenged and you're always shutting down from going into, say, a messy situation like a posh nobleman, then that character is never going to <laughs> become something different. It's never going to grow. It's going to stay stagnant and never generally be remembered as an awesome character. Yeah, absolutely. And if somebody is, if one of the characters suggesting something that your character really wouldn't be into, then it's also on the player who's asking. So that player who's asking, who says to the paladin, hey, we should torture this guy. The paladin's going to be like, uh, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. The person who's asking the question, who says this is what we should be doing, they are also going to have to engage. They're going to have to listen to that player and say, okay, I really feel like this is what we should do. This is how I'm going to justify it to you. So then we get growth on the, uh, on the paladin side, and we also get it on the rogue side, who's trying to make this happen. And um, listening is just the bottom rung of all of this. I mean, improv is all about listening. If, if you stop listening to each other, then nobody is playing the same game as everybody else. <laughs> and then everything, like you say, just shuts down and, and gets boring, to be honest, because then nobody is playing with anyone else. Everybody's playing their own little game and it becomes much less fun. And it sounds like you're suggesting that each player kind of has that responsibility just as the DM does, uh, you know, almost an equal part. 
in trying to make sure that the experience of the rest of the players is also just as good as their own. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think as soon as you join a game that's a team game like this, uh, you do come in with that responsibility to have a good time with everybody else. And another rule in in acting, uh, one of the rules that I live by as an actor is make the other person in the scene look good. Don't worry about looking good yourself. Make the other person in the scene look good. Make it about them. So if you are taking that opportunity as a player to look at the other people in your party and make them look good, you know, bring their ideas to the fore, allow them a moment to shine, then they're going to do the same thing to you because you'll have created a situation where you are a supportive, cohesive team that works together and then everybody gets to shine. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like the moments that come from four people supporting one and making them shine are so much more epic than when you've got five people trying to shine in separate directions like you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, Joanna. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, honestly, that's why I don't care as much about the rules as I used to, because it really is just about the story and the relationships that you create, as far as I'm concerned. Which allows you to jump from system to system to system in, <laughs> in rapid succession. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, we've already kind of discussed this, we're, we're kind of bleeding these two together because we're talking about really how player as an individual has a responsibility to the group, but how can everyone create kind of more involved characters? And we've already talked about uh, staying flexible with what our characters would do and how they would behave and how they're going to act, but do you have other ways that your character can kind of influence the rest of the the party and everyone at the table. Yeah, so this is sort of the acting aspect of it and the the character creation aspect of it. And yeah, we have touched on it a bit already. Uh, So when you create a character, and oftentimes, you know, our character sheets uh, will, uh, will give us sort of lines for ideals and fears and beliefs and and whatever else Uh, and you sort of create that skeleton of uh, what your character is when i'm creating a character for a film or or a a theater production as well that's what i'll do is i'll sort of i have a script obviously i know generally what that character is about i know what the author said about them when you take a character off the page after you've created a character on your page and you know what their motivation is you take them off the page they basically become just an aspect of you uh, because you can't create a brand new person to play. I mean, that's impossible. It's going to be a lot of you. And there, you wouldn't have created that character in the way that you created them unless those aspects somehow interested you. There's some part of yourself that you want to explore or there's something that, that you feel is, is not you at all that you want to explore about yourself. That's why you've created this character. So we sort of create this starting point. And then the deal is when you introduce that character into a situation with a bunch of other people and you start to listen to what they bring to the table and what they bring to the scene and to your character, you allow those other characters to influence you and to change you and to uh, and to allow you to grow, as we were saying earlier. So you kind of start in a place, you figure out the place that you're starting from, and then you stop thinking. I feel like <laughs> One of the big stumbling blocks with characters uh, that people sort of fall into and they get stuck in is they feel like they have to stick to that stuff that's written on the page. You don't. Uh, once you bring that character from its starting point out into the play, into the, into the role play, into the, into the real world, per se, of your table it's going to become a, a different character, and that's that's okay. That's fine. Um, it's got its roots where you built its roots, and now we're going to let that character become something else, become something different, and you have to embrace that change because static characters are restrictive and boring, and you're going to get bored, and they're not going to be fulfilling to play. So listening is is a huge one. I think what comes along with that listening is to have fun with it. Because if you stop having fun and you start really being concerned about playing your character's motivation to the nth degree, then why are we even here? (laughs) Why are we even playing a game? (laughs) Yeah, that can be super distracting when you're so focused on what you've got written down. I think what you said there was so powerful, just changes the goal from that starting point. Run with it. That took me a while to learn. Yeah. Yeah, and the change could be radical or it could be really slow and and moderate. It could be like a 
a slow growth, a gradual change over time. And sometimes those are the most powerful and meaningful changes. Um, or it could be crazy and wild. One of the uh, <laughs> one of my my rules that I've written down for myself when I go out to an audition for the you know for a character for a new character I've never played before, I'll learn the lines and I'll come up with an idea of where I want to go with it. And then um, <laughs> my rule is go fuck it up, like change it. Yeah. Go mess it up. Do something different than what you planned. And then something cool will happen. And it'll be really fun. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. It sounds like creating flawed characters or, or something, you know, radically different from the get-go of just, I intend for this character to change. And that allows you, like you said, to just go in and and whatever I create, I'm going to go in and I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> and that's fantastic. Yeah. That's so good. And I think that it this isn't an idea that 100% has to go with um, with players either. Like DMs, you can come up with really amazing NPC characters, you know, the, the important ones, the complex ones, the ones that are maybe the major bosses or the ally of the party, like those ones that you took a little bit of time on. You can treat them the same way. I mean, you've created a motivation for them and you've created a starting point for that NPC, but allow the party to change that allow the party to change that character maybe the party will really piss them off or maybe the party will really become endeared to them and then that npc character who had a static motivation will now become somebody who's maybe gonna go on a limb for that party or or maybe they're gonna betray them now just because of what they've done so i mean obviously all of your npcs are not going to be that dynamic and complex some of them just have to be I'm delivering this information right now, but some of them can be. Some of them can become very meaningful to the party. And you really only get that really meaningful situation with your NPCs if you allow the party to influence them, to change them. If you as a DM think about that NPC as an aspect of you, and what would you do in that situation? And maybe it's not going to be what you wrote down in your notes for the day. Maybe it's going to be something different. And that's okay. Sometimes then you end up with these amazing NPCs that the party is in love with, you know, that you didn't even plan. It's this crazy NPC that you wrote for some encounter in a magic shop. Now they want to take that wizard with them everywhere. They love him. Yeah, there's no greater feeling as a DM than having created a character that everyone can't help but love and they just want to keep them around. And And I love that point of just being flexible with those characters to let them become something more. And I think one of the... Uh the personality traits that I need to give all my NPCs to accomplish that is just making them impulsive. Because the more impulsive I've been, the more I've accomplished that at the table and had people just be like, yeah, this person rocks. <laughs> cool. That Yeah, that sounds like, you know, bringing in those improvising skills into that NPC. Like, oh my goodness, I had a, it was a sidekick to a villain. So kind of like a, yeah, like an Igor character yeah. who's just following around the main guy. And my party just fell in love with this guy for some reason. He was just kind of a pathetic little, like <laughs> he, he'd been, he, he's like, he'd been manipulated by this villain and they really fell for him. They were like, no, this, you can do better with your life, little man. <laughs> and then they, and they just brought him along and he became like this sort of um, frenemy of the party who had sort of help them out sometimes and betray them other times. It just became this very complex relationship that I had no idea was going to happen at all. Um, but that's, you know, that's the nature of embracing that dynamic change that you can have in characters. And I bet once they were attached to that character, they did not care how much he betrayed them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It throws a wrench in things as, as a DM, of course, because you're like, oh, OK, this is what we're doing now. Sure. All right. So we're going to do that. And then, you know, you got to draw up full stats for this character because all of a sudden they're part of the party and they want them around <laughs> all the time. You're like, OK, all right. That's what we're doing. And then you bring them back later for an epic moment. Travis's characters in a game that I ran ended up mentoring a kobold to the <laughs> <laughs> and then lost track of him. And like 30 sessions later, the kobold came back as a, you know, level 10 rogue, just like he was because he trained him down that path path and it was like yeah he's back yes that's amazing that's what it allows those opportunities that you love in movies and television shows right where like that character that you saw back in season one shows up in season five and it's amazing <laughs> and they're gonna save the party and it's incredible well that's great joanna thank you so much 
we want to hear more about you and some of your awesome projects and accomplishments and what set you down this path of being that coveted uh, <laughs> professional DM. I don't know how many people are out there that have always thought, oh, what if I could actually get paid to do this? Um, well, I guess it sounds like uh, say yes, uh, yes and learn your uh, your improv and be flexible yeah be flexible so that's the start and we're going to get the rest from you in the hero stage all right this is the hero stage where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives even though you might might not have been dungeon mastering for a super long time it sounds like you've definitely always had this kind of creative mindset that uh, inspired you to do what you do. So what kind of took you down that road of getting into the fantasy role play with your acting? And which came first? Well, <laughs> the acting definitely came first. I went off and, and did my degree off in London to be an actor. And when I came back to Vancouver, I grew up in Victoria. When I came back to Vancouver, because Vancouver had a had a much sort of more vibrant film industry than Victoria, uh, I got myself an agent and, you know, went through all that business. Vancouver is uh, very full of actors. <laughs> and a lot of them were around sort of my age. I mean, I was mid to late 20s, brown hair, five foot four. It's, there's a lot of us. Uh, so when I came back, my partner and I, at the time, he was a uh, director and filmmaker, and he'd made a, a couple of films. We had gamed a bit together, and he'd introduced me to D&D, and, and uh, we played a bit. And I never really thought of it as a performance path, but he would made a couple of films, and he said hey, I'm tired of producing because it's such a lot of work. You produce something. And I was like, okay, all right. So I wrote a couple of scripts for a web series that was based in a lot of the stories that came out of the D&D games that we'd been playing. And it was based on, I loved the idea of characters who weren't particularly good at what they did. <laughs> so I wrote just a few scripts about, you know, the the barbarian who is super skinny and small and not particularly good at being a barbarian and the druid who is allergic to plants and um, <laughs> the bard who wasn't particularly good at music, but had a hero complex and wanted to be like his his dad, who was an amazing bard. And just these characters that just sort of came to me. And then that developed into a web series called Standard Action. Uh, and Standard Action was a series that ran for three seasons and five years from 2010 to 2015. So all of a sudden with that show, which uh, my partner uh, Rob Hunt was directing and I was starring in and writing and producing, that all of a sudden became this opportunity to take gaming and my acting skills and bring them together into a way that was really popular online. I mean, you know, nerds live online <laughs> and my audience were nerds like me. And so if I could create a web series for them, put it online and, and create that following. Uh, and I did. And we took it to film festivals and we took it to conventions and it just became this huge movement in our lives. And then after that, yeah, I mean, Eric Fell from the Critical Hit Show, he knew Standard Action and he was putting together a team for the Critical Hit Show at the time. And he asked me to be involved. Um, so I sort of got on board with that. And then from there, the Stormcrow reached out to a bunch of us and, and asked us to, to DM for money. And so that's kind of how that, <laughs> how that came about as well. So it's sort of the nerdy aspect of filmmaking started with standard action, and then it just sort of spread. There's just so many really creative people who love Dungeons and & Dragons and gaming and, and role play. And a lot of those people are creating cool things. So then I got to be a part of um, some of the gamers material who are like the zombie Orpheus Entertainment who make stuff out of the States. A, a beautiful little series called Humans and Households that they made I got to be part of, which is hilarious. Um, I, I got on board with One Hit Die, which is a web series out of uh, Calgary that was uh, sort of gaming focused as well. So it's just kind of steamrolled from from the moment that we decided to start Standard Action. Well, that's so cool. What advice would you give to somebody that aspires to be a professional DM? Well, 
for anybody who's really looking to make that a thing right now, I would say find yourself a platform online that you really love to play with, whether that's Roll20 or whatever it is, find a platform, learn it, make it your own. And then, um, and then you could, you know, create yourself a website and see what happens. I would say it's probably really great to get together with a bunch of other DMs as well. If you've got a pool of people, then when somebody wants to schedule something, then you can uh, then you can sort of find the person who's available. It's becoming popular even with businesses as sort of corporate team building. So make sure that your marketing and your website looks really slick uh, because a lot of customers are going to be people who are coming from an office. There's going to be a a group of accountants who are going to come and want to want to play with you. Um, but I think that there's a lot of opportunity right now. I think that there is a real opening for that sort of thing in in a lot of different places. People are hungry for a connection. Uh, they're hungry for um, a way that they can get together with their friends and have a good time and stay safe. So yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity. The technology that allows for what you're talking about online, that massive leap in online gaming keeps adapting. So yeah, theoretically, it'll, it'll just get easier and easier. Yeah, I think so. I, I remember it being quite challenging. A few years ago, it was in a place where I just didn't even want to do it. And now it's made a, a lot of leaps forward. There's some slick systems out there for sure. And I think there's a lot to be said, and I'm sure you're quite adept at this, just being an actor, is that you've got to have conversations with people. You've got to reach out and start to just pitch ideas together or brainstorm ideas together because, I mean, no production is going to come and knock on your door to say, hey, I want you to star in this show. It's all about you being out there and connecting with people and being with other creatives to start to to start reaching out and building those connections as a creative person. So I think during these times, it's incredibly easy as well to just sit in your house and let it kind of languor. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are really tough times. So um, there are definitely some days where I just want to sit in my house and watch Netflix. And that's totally fine. <laughs> but yeah, there are. there's also an opportunity out there to reach out to other people who are feeling creatively frustrated, who don't have uh, an outlet right now. There's a lot of performers who don't have a way to perform. And you kind of got to, if you're going to collaborate like that, you got to come at it with a lot of the things that we've talked about today. So it's going to be about making sure that the people that you're playing with are having a good time beyond the rules, beyond what you think the story should be, beyond what your goals are for a session, throw all of that away if you have to. It's most important, most important that those people who you're sitting at the table with you, virtually or not, are walking away from that situation having had a really awesome time. Like if that means that you have to fudge the roles to make sure that the whole party <laughs> doesn't TPK, like if you have to do that, do it. Because it makes way more sense for those people to walk away having had a positive experience than it is if you walk away and you say, yeah, I played that game right. There's no such thing as playing a game right. As long as it's fun and as long as people are having a good time, that's the goal. That's You've met your goal then. Then you'll get people who say, oh, that DM is so much fun to play with. It's not because they knew all the rules. It's never because they knew all the rules. <laughs> You know, it's not because they didn't make any mistakes because I make mistakes constantly because it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're having a good time and that play is flowing and that people want to engage with you. People feel that you're listening. People feel that you care about them having a good time. Those are the things that matter. Preach. Hallelujah. <laughs> Even more than, you know, before these times, it's satisfying as heck to sit down and feel some control with your character and to just be able to do what you want to do in a fantasy world. So. Have some fun. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Speaking of having fun, uh, what pr other projects are looming on the horizon for you right now? Well, I just finished shooting a movie. So uh, last week, uh, we just wrapped principal photography on a film that I'm doing, which has nothing to do with D&D, but that definitely absorbed my whole life for quite a few months. And I'm very excited about it. It's called Who Am I Now? So it, it's in the editing suite right now. Um, I've got 
a couple of short films on the horizon that I'm writing. And, and as we were saying just then, just reaching out to other creative peoples and I'm collaborating with them to, to make. I'm excited to continue with What the Quest, which is the gaming Twitch channel that we've got going with a bunch of different games. I, I really want to keep learning or at least being exposed to a lot of different systems. I feel like, um, you know, 5e is awesome and I really enjoy it, but there's so much out there and I feel like I really want to uh, I really want to get excited about learning a bunch of different ways of telling stories. And there's a lot of cool games out there for that. What has been your favorite thus far? Like if you couldn't go with 5e, what would be your backup? Oh, man, I really enjoyed Star Wars, the Edge of Empire. The system, like it's, it starts out feeling like it's complicated, but it's really not. And I love how it's like real sort of flexibility in what happens after every roll is built into the dice and built into the system. Well, I'm really excited to see what Quest is going to be like. So by the time this podcast airs, I think we'll have had a session. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Maybe. So there'll be three sessions. So I'm excited to see how that goes. It's very flexible. There's only one die. There's only a d20. Like it, it's, the rules have been stripped away. So there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of openness. It's really all about the storytelling. So I'm excited to to explore that and see how that goes. The Twitch channel is called WT Quest if you want to check it out. Absolutely. So did you choose Quest specifically for that rules light aspect? Yeah, I did. Um, so it was my turn to DM and I had a couple of different sort of ideas. I am interested in exploring Numenara, but I just I didn't have access to the, the source book. So maybe I'll do that next time. So it was going to be Numenara or Quest just because one of our other DMs, Stu Pop, suggested that to me. And I started reading through the website and just the way that it was presented, it just had this really light way of presenting itself. It was just sort of like, here's uh, here's some ideas. Uh, yeah, go go try it out. And <laughs> I really liked the way that the authors, you know, presented that. And and it feels very much about the story and about relationships and about having fun. I think that sounds like a really fun way to learn about those different systems is consuming your stream because. One of the issues that I have in even learning about them is there's some amazing podcasts and streams that run a whole campaign in those systems, but I don't really want to just listen to the beginning of the story and then drop out so I can learn a different one. So your three session arcs sound, yeah, pretty digestible. Yeah, that was kind of the idea. Yeah. And one of the wonderful things about the people that were in that group are DMs for the Stormcrow. So they're all very, very good at what they do. And so they're really able to sort of cram that experience into a really thoughtful and complete three episode arc. They've all been really fantastic so far. Tremendous. Well, we can't wait to uh, dive into that. Yeah, definitely. Check it out. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Joanna, for joining us. Where can everybody find you? Well, um, I'm Mighty Joanna pretty much everywhere. So at Mighty Joanna on Instagram and on Twitter. So you can definitely, yeah, reach out, find me there. And just to clarify, we're going to uh, have links in the show notes for everybody. Joanna's working on far too many things for you to remember. So just look below for all of that. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can, of course, follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit. So, Joanna, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we'd love it if you'd join us for our outro. Sure, yes. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and play, play great, great games. games. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>